Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast. Richard Lane here on Friday, March the 12th. In this special podcast, I'd like to introduce Professor Peter Rothwell from the University of Oxford here in the United Kingdom. He is the author of a review proposing a different approach to how we assess blood pressure and cardiovascular risk. He is also author of two research articles in this week's issue concerning hypertension and will also discuss a research article published simultaneously by The Lancet Neurology on thelancet.com to coincide with this week's issue of The Lancet. Professor Rothwell, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. You're the author of what seems to be most of the content of The Lancet this week. And this concerns a very important issue. And this is our whole perception and conception of blood pressure, what is an appropriate blood pressure measure. Just before we go into some of the details, can you just remind us of some of the basic epidemiology here? What toll uncontrolled blood pressure has on morbidity and mortality worldwide? Hypertension uh, accounts for about 50% of all vascular events in the developed world and probably more in the developing world. Even in the developed world, 50% of adults are are hypertensive and our lifetime risk of hypertension is as high as 90%. The review we publish is particularly interesting because here you go into some detail about, if you'd like, a proposal for a different model or paradigm in the way that we look at what is relevant blood pressure. There's something called the usual blood pressure approach, which is something you're suggesting is actually not right. We should be looking at it a different way. Can, can you explain the basic argument here? I think that's right. It's, it's a philosophical issue to some extent in that our current guidelines, and, and this really applies to all blood pressure guidelines, are based on this, this fundamental assumption that the thing about blood pressure that explains the association with risk and explains the benefit of blood pressure lowering drugs is this concept that we all have an underlying average blood pressure or, or usual blood pressure. And this is what's key. What we find is that it's, it's an oversimplification high average blood pressure is an important cause of vascular events but what's also important is variability. The problem with the usual blood pressure hypothesis is that it's been taken to on to such an extent by guidelines that, for example, a patient whose blood pressure is high sometimes in general practice and then the patient's brought back is low the next time, high the next time, low the next time tends not to be treated. The guidelines always say don't treat on the basis of one or two high values. Bring the patient back, measure it again over several weeks, or do 24-hour ambulatory monitoring. And as long as the average blood pressure is okay, then you don't need to diagnose hypertension or treat. What we found is actually, in, in contrast to that, that it's these patients with variable blood pressure who are actually at quite high risk of stroke over and above their average level. To some extent, the whole philosophy is 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 wrong. We're, we're, we're not quite treating the wrong patients in the sense that patients with persistently high blood pressure do need to be treated, but they're actually lower risk than a patient with substantially lower mean blood pressure, but, but high variability. It's sort of taking the usual blood pressure hypothesis a bit further and not applying it so rigidly. So just to be clear, you're not saying we should dispose of the usual blood pressure approach, but we're saying we should but you're saying we should not rely on the simplistic nature of it and we should develop our thinking so that we're looking at these uh, more um, unusual blood pressure recordings. I think that's right. I think the, the usual blood pressure hypothesis is right to the extent that high mean blood pressure is a bad thing and needs to be treated. Where the mistake has been is to assume that it's all important and nothing else matters. Following this argument through, what would the implications be if this, if this different approach that 
that you're proposing now is adopted widely, what are the implications in terms of research, in terms of clinical practice? Some profound implications, aren't there? Yeah, there are a number of, if I can summarise, the main implications. I think one is for diagnosis of hypertension. And it, it's well known in all healthcare systems there's significant underdiagnosis and undertreatment. And I think one of the reasons for this is because of an under-recognition of the importance of this variability. The fact that patients whose blood pressure is sometimes normal tend not to be treated because the normal blood pressure tends to be assumed to be their underlying usual blood pressure and uh, the higher values get ignored. That's in a sense one of the main implications that we need to take less false reassurance from occasional low values in patients with highly variable blood pressure. Their vascular risk is high and they probably do need to be treated. I think the second finding that's most important is that we showed that certain drugs increase variability and certain drugs decrease it. So beta blockers, for example, that might be used to treat hypertension actually make the variability worse. And this explains why they actually they have very little beneficial effect on stroke risk because whilst they lower the average blood pressure, they increase the variability. Whereas calcium channel blockers, for example, have the opposite effect. They reduce both the mean level and the variability and are therefore much more effective in preventing stroke. It allows us to begin to tailor blood pressure lowering drugs to individual patients, taking into account both their mean level and their variability. In terms of ongoing research, I think it, it opens up an, a whole new area of therapeutic development, which one might call blood pressure stabilizing drugs. We've got blood pressure lowering drugs, but what we also need are blood pressure stabilizing drugs, and both new drugs and combinations of existing drugs would both stabilize and reduce blood pressure. And I suppose another issue more broadly is that when new drugs come to the market for any indication, various safety tests are done, one of which is looking at the effect of the drug on blood pressure. And at the moment, that's limited to mean blood pressure, but I think it would be sensible to make sure that new drugs don't increase variability in blood pressure. And there are examples of a number of drugs that, that probably do do that, and that would explain why they increase the risk of stroke. Also, Professor Rothwell, in addition to to the review that we've just been discussing, which is the central thrust of of your proposal, there are two research articles in this week's issue of The Lancet in relation to your ideas here. Can you comment briefly on those? The first one was a paper looking at the, uh, the prognostic value of visit-to-visit variability in blood pressure, so the extent to which variation from measurement to measurement over weeks or months when patients came back to have blood pressure remeasured, the extent to which that was predictive over and above their average blood pressure. And we, we looked at five different cohorts, some with previous TIA and one uh, a large trial of more general hypertensive patients, and found that, in fact, the, the variability over time was more predictive of subsequent stroke than the mean level. And also, we found that the variability between clinic visits in blood pressure was more predictive than variability measured on a 24-hour ambulatory monitor. So this instability or inability to consistently control blood pressure is, is a very powerful predictor of subsequent vascular events. We then looked in randomized trials which had compared different blood pressure lowering drugs 
to see whether we could detect any effect of reduced variability in one particular class versus another, and whether if we could, that correlated with their effects on stroke risk. And we found that certain blood pressure lowering drugs, as I mentioned earlier, do lower variability, particularly calcium channel blockers and thiazides, whereas other drugs such as beta blockers increases. And those effects correlate very nicely with the effects of those drugs on stroke risk. And this this explains one of the inconsistencies in the usual blood pressure hypothesis that over the last few years there's been an increasing number of trials where the effect of the treatment on the risk of stroke didn't seem to tie in very well at all with the effect on observed mean blood pressure. And in fact, when you factor in variability, it explains all of those apparent disparities. Thanks very much. And related to uh, the last point you're making in relation to stroke, simultaneously, The Lancet Neurology, one of our sister journals, is publishing online to coincide with the publication of this week's issue, a research article looking specifically at drug class and stroke risk. Do you want to just summarise this important study and, and its clinical implications? This was very much a study designed to test the observation that I've just mentioned in the meta-analysis to actually get the individual patient data from two of these trials where there seemed to be a disconnect between the effect of the drugs on stroke risk and the effect of the drugs on mean blood pressure and see whether when we looked at the individual variability in blood pressure in individual patients that it genuinely did explain the treatment effect. And so we looked at the ASCOT BPLA trial which compared a calcium channel blocker regime amlodipine with a tenolol and we found that Sorry, a a tenolol being a beta blocker. Beta blocker, that's right. We found that the benefit of the amlodipine-based regime that that hadn't been explicable before on the basis of mean blood pressure was entirely accounted for by reduced variability in the amlodipine group versus increased variability in the tenolol group. We then looked at the MRC trial of blood pressure lowering in elderly hypertensives, which is an old trial, which had compared a tenolol with a thiazide diuretic versus placebo that had had a strange result whereby the stroke risk in the tenolol arm was higher than placebo for the first two or three years and then suddenly became substantially lower. And our hypothesis was that this was probably due to add-on drugs in the tenolol arm. The add-on drugs were a calcium channel blocker and a thiazide. And so the hypothesis was that a tenolol would initially increase variability, which would explain the high early risk of stroke in that trial, and then variability would be lower later on due to this addition of other drugs. And that turned out to be exactly exactly the case. That's a very important proof of principle because what that trial showed was that a tenolol reduced mean blood pressure by 10 to 15 millimeters of mercury systolic blood pressure, so a big reduction in mean blood pressure but actually increased the risk of stroke at that time. And that's because of this increase in variability. So it's a very nice proof that the usual blood pressure hypothesis doesn't work well for stroke. You can reduce usual blood pressure substantially, but actually increase the risk of the stroke. And taking all this very interesting, potentially complex information together. What are you calling for now? Because some people and and commentators in in the Lancet comment we publish welcome this very interesting uh, approach that you describe, but they're saying it needs to be repeated and followed up in in, in more research in other data sets. Are you saying that or or are you saying that clinical practice needs to change now without the need for further investigation through research? I think probably a bit of both. I think you know, undoubtedly it, it, it would be a major change in the whole philosophy of the diagnosis and treatment of hypertension. So 
it would be arrogant to suggest that the work didn't therefore need to be replicated and looked at in, in a number of different ways. And we're doing some of that work and collaboration with others, but it's important that it's also done independently. But I think having said that, I think probably with the four papers, there, there's enough evidence to say at least two things. One is that we, we, we can already, I think, say that we need to change our diagnostic strategies and that we should no longer ignore variability. Currently, the guidelines say the variability is random, uninformative, don't need to worry about it, just measure the usual blood pressure as precisely as you can. Episodic hypertension doesn't need to be treated. And I think we can now say, well, in fact, that's not true. Patients with episodic high blood pressure are at very high risk. They probably do need to be treated. And the sensible drugs to use would be calcium channel blockers or diuretics to reduce that variability. In terms of the choice of drugs, we've, we've explained why it is that beta blockers seem to be less good at preventing stroke than they should be. And other drugs seem to be more effective. And I think certainly one could argue that you could already start to apply that to patients who are at risk of stroke and preferentially get them onto calcium channel blockers and thiazides if their blood pressure is variable. And one final point, I can't help thinking of this analogy, having discussed these papers with you and, and, and the um, concepts here, and that is, is this over-reliance on a mean? If you just took a literal statistical analogy of a normal distribution if the data around the mean is quotes normal the um, and the, you know with relevant confidence intervals then the mean can be quite a useful figure whereas if you've got great variability or standard deviation going on around the mean the mean becomes less relevant is that the point that, that's very much the point that um, the usual blood pressure is, is, was a useful advance in the sense that it did it did make it clear that the average level of blood pressure was important. But in, in a sense, the epidemiologists overinterpreted it and that the clinicians who are left with this situation that you describe of actually very variable blood pressure, where the mean is actually extremely difficult to measure anyway, have had difficulty applying the, the epidemiological principle in practice for, for the reasons that you're hinting at there. It's all extremely interesting, fascinating to, to discuss it with you, and I'm sure there's going to be um, a, a very interesting response. I look forward to, to reading some of the correspondence in, in, in a few weeks' time. So, Professor Peter Rothwell, on the line from Oxford here in the United Kingdom, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. Thank you, Richard. Thank you very much. Many thanks for listening to this week's podcast. See you next week.